The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. If your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheets. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Twin XL. Now here's your hosts, Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. So uh, this all started with what was a monthly group of moms of first-time college students? And we did invite dads. I want to be really clear. We invited dads, but in typical dad fashion, they did not feel that they had the reason to be there. Um, so we... Uh, and now we've lost and, all the dads. And now we've lost all the dads. But um, So we had a monthly meeting uh, with parents, and they were all over the place, and we met with them through Zoom uh, chat meeting and really talked to them about what it was like sending their kid off to college for the first time. Um, and so uh, that's where this all started. And then we said, why don't we make a podcast? Because we've learned a lot about what these parents value in terms of information. This is the origin story of this podcast. Yes, this is the origin story of this podcast. <laughs> and so, so there you go. So today, hi, this is Laura DeVoe, and I am here with Beth Grampetro. Hello. And uh, today's episode is from the mouth of a mom who made it and uh, part of our on the, on the phone coming to us live from her vacation spot in Provincetown, Massachusetts is Beth Nierberg. Hi, Beth. Hi, you guys. I feel uh, like now that you've pronounced it, I may have actually made it. Okay. Hey. <laughs> hey. And so uh, we're very excited and uh, Beth is one of the moms who was part of our original group. So we thought we would invite her and we'll probably invite moms who uh, other moms from the group uh, as well. Um, and Beth uh, is going to join us to talk about the surviving year one. Her uh, oldest child uh, went off on his first year um, at uh, college last year, and uh, so Beth's going to share with us some of the some of the realities. Now, Beth is is a, a an, an empath, and so she is very sensitive. And um, my goal is not to make her cry during this half hour of uh, of time. Uh, so, uh, Beth, you survived, yay! And you're woo-hoo! about to, and you're woohoo! And you're about to embark on year two, um, sending your oldest child off to college. Uh, you know, want to start with this idea? What assumptions did you make? about how hard it would be uh, uh, that played out to be accurate and what what wasn't accurate about that first year in terms of those assumptions? Hmm. I think what was accurate was the little nuancy ways that my life changed. Not the big, huge ways, but the little passive ways. So um, that was definitely surprising to me. I thought I would miss him terribly and I would ache with the loss and I did not. I was, I was very emotional when we dropped him off, but that was it. Um, There were some tears, um, but I was super excited about the opportunity, both for him and for my other two kids. I think the thing I didn't um, count on was how much opportunity pulling one kid out of a three kid mix would create 
for the, the rest of the family. Okay. Talk more about that. So if there's people listening who have more than one child and you send one off to school, what was the dynamic that you, you kind of saw happen at the house? Well, I feel like it made room for my other two to spend time together as siblings to enjoy each other more. Um, dynamics just change dramatically when you take one person out of the mix. And so we took one pretty high energy person out of the mix and it made different space for the other two siblings to have more time with their parents, more time with each other, extra space in the house, a little less laundry. Um, (laughs) How did it affect your food bill? That's what parents want to know the real deal. So how did it affect the food bill? Yeah, the food, the food bill went down, but you know, college food is not expensive either. So (laughs) I'm not sure how that came out in the wash, but I think the greatest surprise for me was the way that it helped my other two children find more space for each other. That's nice. Uh, the, so what was something you were worried about that actually didn't manifest? Um, one of the things I was worried about that didn't manifest, I think I, I was on an emotional level, I was worried that our relationship, my son and my relationship would change dramatically. And it didn't. I, I don't feel like it did. I think it took a different shape, but I, I felt... Um, still connected to him in lots of ways, but I managed my own personal levels of overconnectedness to make sure he wasn't too tethered. Okay, to when me. you talk about your own overconnectedness, that that to me um, says that you are a extraordinarily self aware human um, who knows that maybe you're a little more connected to your kids than the average bear. Um, yeah. uh, how, how do you know that? How did you come so, to that conclusion? <laughs> so, well, the good news is I'm an empath and a therapist. Okay. And so <laughs> I am a therapist. Double threat. Who works, <laughs> double threat. I'm actually, well, yeah. So I think I've watched the college students that I work with in therapy. Um, one of my questions is always, how often do you talk to your parents? How often do you text? And what I find is in college, the kids who are struggling the most are the kids who are literally in constant text conversation with their mom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's literally like they're connected by a Mm walkie-talkie. And I think that there's a way that that's okay in high school in some realm, but it has to change for college. Right. Right. And so... I made an F, I made a decision to only send one out of every 1500 texts that popped into my head <laughs> on an average week <laughs> because I didn't want it to feel like we, I was in his ear. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to be helping him make little tiny decisions every day or talking to him about all the minutia because he needed to learn how to do that himself. Right. What what is the the what is the thing that he would call you about the most? Um, when I say call, I, I mean I know they text; they yeah. don't call, but yeah, right. I I think I would get texts most about um, when he needed reassurance about something that he probably already knew, mm-hmm. but he wanted like the voice of approval. Got it. Um, I think if we could flip to something, I think more. Ta- 
transactional or tactical. Um, One of the biggest questions we get from parents is about packing and sending their kid off to school. Um, What is something that you did uh, that, that, you know, you were surprised that he called later and said, we overlooked this, we need this item, and he's in a complete panic about it. Um, and what is something that you sent along that never made it out of the box? Oh, that's such a hard question because he did go to school fairly close mm-hmm. and we he had a Target across the street. Okay. So <laughs> whatever he forgot, Target obviously had. I think if I had to pick one thing that we overpacked, it was probably linens. Okay. Um, because the assumption that your child is going to wash linens as frequently as you do is just silly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we could have easily sent him with one set of sheets and yep. he would have just washed them and put them back on the bed. Yeah. Um, you know, sheets, duvet covers, things like that, that he, the linen situation was out of control. Okay. Okay. So I think I would have definitely, um, ratcheted that down. I think for families who are going to see their kids at Thanksgiving, it, it, the thing that helped us, I think, not feel overwhelmed is that we brought clothes to get him through the, the, the late summer, early fall. Well, you clearly then, got that from us because that's one of our top things that we recommend is only send them for about 10 weeks worth of stuff, not right. even 10, to get them through Thanksgiving until you have to actually get them into cold weather stuff for those people in cold weather areas. And that worked out beautifully. It really kept the panic from the tiny closet and the tiny dresser from being overwhelming (laughs) because it was just summer clothes. Yeah, And and that's important in that, you know, I think one of the things I want to talk about after the break is money and uh, spending money and what you saw in terms of maybe their financial expectations, um, what worked and what didn't work. Um, but I think it's really important to remember is that, um, you know, unless you're sending your kid to college in Antarctica, there is probably going to be a Target or a Walmart or something nearby. Um, and this idea of like, what if we forget something? It's only as far as just literally a, a short ride away um, to being able to fill that. And sometimes you don't have to do that because Amazon delivers. So after the break, we're going to talk about money and how your kid did with money. Thank you. All right. (laughs) We're going to the break. Thank you, Dave. Twin XL is supported by Sunstein, Kahn, Murphy & Timbers, a boutique law firm specializing in intellectual property. Sunstein's attorneys are passionate representatives of their clients' ideas, technologies, and brands. And Sunstein's broad range of expertise in the intellectual property field including patent and trademark litigation, sets it apart from the competition. Visit Sunstein at sunsteinlaw.com. That's S-U-N-S-T-E-I-N-Law.com. Contact Sunstein to see how your intellectual property can be winning intellectual property. So, so Beth, can you tell us a bit about how you set financial expectations with uh, your student and how it worked or maybe ways that it didn't work out so well? Um, Yeah, I mean, I have a few things to say about that. One is um, we made sure that he had an emergency credit card um, for bigger ticket items, like if his laptop got stolen or he needed a plane ticket, you know, those kinds of things. And that was only for emergencies, but he had one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he had his own credit slash debit card for a local bank 
that we deposited his allowance into. And that's all really he had access to. Um, interestingly enough, he opened a credit card for himself because he was already 18, much to our chagrin, and then closed it very quickly because he panicked. <laughs> he, he realized <laughs> that was not a responsibility that he was ready for, nor did he have the cash flow to manage it. So that was an accident that had nothing to do with our planning that worked out well, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one of the complications, because he's in a city school and has access to so much food and so many options, is I think we overdid it on the meal plan. Mm. And if I could do it over again, would do less on the meal plan and more... um, in the way of, of different opportunities for him to eat with friends, because that's what comes up is the eating with friends and the going with friends. And if you have so many meals on the meal plan, there's no way to plow through them all. Yeah. And we, we've talked about this before about, you know, using is there's two sides of this finance piece when it comes to meals is that for those folks who want to keep to saying, this is our budget and this is what we're going to send you off to school with. And this is what's going on. Um, your on-campus and your off-campus meals should be part of that overall picture. Um, We've seen some parents who come back and they say, my kid's skip bending is up the wazoo, and then they realize it's Grubhub and all kinds of other uh, opportunities to go and eat out, and they're not using their meal plan at all. Um, And being able to say, all right, I need you to back off a little bit on the every night out kind of idea um, and setting those expectations with them. But like you said, depending on where they go to school, especially if your kid goes off to school in an urban environment or a place that has a lot of access to off-campus eateries, there are some institutions that actually have intentionally connected with off-campus restaurants and delivery agencies that actually take points or uh, declining dollars, uh, whatever your institution calls it, um, off of the student's meal card and actually can use that to pay for delivery rather than use a debit card or something of that nature because they know students use these off-campus environments. But every institution is different and you need to look into that. But you have to monitor that or ask your kid to monitor it. But that's a good point. So, Beth, I have another question. We talked a little bit in the first segment about kind of how your you felt your other kids, their relationship changed when your oldest uh, son went off to college. Um, did you find anything for yourself changing? You talked about kind of how you've stayed connected with him while he's at school, but just anything else about your life with the other kids? As Laura has put here in the notes, you do have co-parents and dogs and other folks in your house. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how how did that change? Anything anything different about day to day for you? Um, I think day to day for me potentially lightened up a little bit. I definitely had a few more hours a week to dedicate to work. Um, it freed me up a little bit in that realm, but some of that is probably developmental for my other kids getting older as well. Um, like I think all those things are happening simultaneously, but I think also because I'm a therapist and I've watched all these women and I say women, there are men too, but predominantly women kind of revamping their lives as their kids got older and moved through high school and got ready to leave for college. And so I think I started building some of that in before he left. Um, or before he went to college. And so I added in some classes and some things that I'm doing just for me. 
um, not related to parenting or child rearing or driving to practices or regattas or things like that, that have definitely helped me feel grounded through the transition. And it doesn't, it's not lost on me also that I have three kids, two grades apart. Right. So Mm -hmm. this is going to happen every other year for six years. Right. (laughs) So you're like, I mean, when you say you did some things in classes, I mean, you know, what do you do? Macrame? What are you doing? I want to know what's happening. So it's one of the M's actually. If I, I am taking a mosaic class. We get to make pretty things and hang out with some amazing ladies in my teacher's studio. And it's something that I have to force myself to make time for because it's meaningful for me. But that time can easily get eaten up by my kids and my job. She's taking meaningful mosaics. I like it. Meaningful mosaics. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, what other things did you do, um, if any, any, any of the things that your students' college offered you? Did you go to parent orientation? Are there other resources you've utilized to kind of keep connected with them, with the institution, and, yeah. to, and to help coach your student through and, this year. And the reason we ask this question about this is because one of the things about this podcast is that we want parents to kind of find that, that balance between um, doing and coaching. Um, but some of that is about being aware of what are the resources your institution has available to parents and they encourage parents to use um, and how much have you used them uh, versus how much have you had to do some fact finding. I mean, some institutions that they don't want you to get involved, but you feel like right. you need to. So that's, that's a fantastic question. And I'm going to answer it with my mom hat, not my therapist. Hat. Uh, that's good. Cause we, we are talking to you as a mom and later yes. on today, so, I'll talk to you as a therapist. <laughs> so because. I will 100% focus my mom hat. So okay, that's good. in my mom hat, I found orientation incredibly disappointing. Okay. Um, mm. It felt like a dog and pony show wah, wah. And, <laughs> and not at all about things that would be useful to know and understand. And I'll give you a really concrete example. Um, my child who went away to school had a 504 and accommodations his whole life for ADHD. Yep. Okay. But to get new neuropsych testing done and to arrange for those accommodations, the, the level at which one needs to function institutionally does not occur at the age of 18. <laughs> the, the roadblocks and the bureaucracy are insurmountable. And so even if you finally convince your kid not to be nervous about making the phone call or going to the office for accommodations and disabilities, the red tape and the way you're treated makes it impossible to do by yourself. Mm. And so that became something that his, um, one of his fathers and I had to help shepherd him a little bit to teach him how to advocate for himself on a bureaucratic level. Right. And, and you will be interested in tuning into our episode with Chip Kennedy, who ju- we just recorded uh, on the ADA uh, and accommodations. So uh, you should pick up on that at another point. I will do that. Um, but that's a really good example. Um, anything else where you said besides that, where maybe you've gotten more in touch with the institution about uh, some of the some of the needs that your that your kid had? Particular to my children, they have managed in their academic careers to always have some adults that they can count on, and so we really. Um, suggested strongly that our oldest find an adult that could be their bedrock 
in the university system. Um, and so we were fortunate enough to have a friend who is at the university in a leadership position. And he met her before he ever accepted his slot at the school. And they meet every other week just to check in. Okay. And that's felt really powerful for him. Right. Well, and I think that that's a really good point is that, um, you know, when you look at that idea of advocacy and who's going to be there for your kid in terms of advocacy, Beth brings up that she already had a pre-existing relationship or someone who even on a, on a cursory level um, that they knew and had a familiarity with. Um, you're not always going to have that benefit. Um, so I don't want people listening to this to say, oh, well, we don't know anybody at my kid's institution. It's halfway across the country. I don't know what's going on. Is that there is a point where when you are at parent orientation or your kid is at orientation or um, some other thing happens and your child gets some kind of connection or you get a connection to somebody, there is nothing wrong with an ask. There is nothing wrong with, I cannot tell you how many times, and and part of this is that I have a big personality, and so when I'm on a campus, for some reason, especially during orientation, sometimes parents glom onto me because they say, oh, you're like a talk show host that I've always wanted to have in my living room, and I want to have coffee <laughs> with you, right? And then, and, you know, and say, like, like Sally Jesse. I am like Sally Jesse, because I, well, except for the red glasses, but I used to wear <laughs> red glasses. But anyway, so it's like when people will say to me, is it okay if I send my kid to you to talk? And like, absolutely, that's what we're here to do and a, a administrator a good administrator that is will be able to say okay this is something I can absolutely do on a regular basis or every other week or let me see what I can do uh, to help your kid or where is it appropriate for me to say all right I'm going to back off now and I'm going to refer you to someone else on campus and that isn't because I don't want to help you but because maybe the student needs something that's more um, in a specialty area or something that's more appropriate to someone else's field of, uh, of scope scope of field and their expertise but there's advocacy for your kid can happen in a variety of areas and in, and attention. I actually, you know, you were talking about uh, the fact your kid you know, met with somebody on a regular basis um, in a more informal situation. Um, you will be surprised as to who takes on these roles in students' lives of accountability. And sometimes they take shape in very different places. And I'm going to talk about a person who, um, when I worked at um, an institution, there was a, a a dining worker, her name was Stacy. Okay. And Stacy had an amazing personality, and every kid who swiped into the dining hall knew Stacy. Okay. And Stacy also knew everyone who would come in because these were like the breakfast crew. And there's a certain type of kid who comes to breakfast every morning on a college campus. And Stacy knew all the breakfast kids. And she also knew who had an exam that next day and what was going on in their lives and who was struggling with their girlfriend or boyfriend or what was happening. And Stacy would make sure she would do the rounds. She was horrible at swiping cards because she would leave her post and go and work around the dining room and talk to people. Um, and they would leave this pile of cards from people who hadn't been able to swipe in. They would just leave the card and then she would work the room and then come back and swipe people and then kind of give them out again. But she would walk around the room and Stacy had this wonderful way about her and be like, so how's it going today, baby? And what did you do? And how's that exam yesterday? And oh my God, and you overslept and blah, blah, blah. And when you have a person, whether it be a dining hall worker or an administrator or someone who is actually an academic advisor who your child has 
a sense of responsibility to um, someone who's going to actually follow up with them, someone who's going to take that time and have those kind of moments. Um, that is something, ask your kid, ask your kid, who have you connected with? Who is a part of your life that you were surprised has become part of your life every day? Um, that's really what makes a connection on campus that important. And uh, I, I think to, to tag along to that, sometimes those people are res life people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people when I was in res life, I think lots of kids find it easier to hang out with someone that they live with and they don't see as part of the greater bureaucracy. Um, And I think that makes them more comfortable. So for me, it's about being seen and like just having a grown up that's not your parent um, that may be able to like, just check in with you and support you in that. I have a friend who dropped her kid off at U Miami and she just happened to meet someone in the business program during their whole hoopla orientation she took his card and when her kid was floundering that's who she called well we're going to take a quick break and uh, when we come back we're going to talk about what made you cry (laughs) okay Okay. get ready everybody Get get ready everybody From Pod617.com and Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, it's Higher Ground featuring higher education attorney John Graff. We are dealing with issues that are breaking on an hourly basis sometimes in higher ed. What we wanted to do was actually bring the information to the listener at a time when it's convenient for them. Succinct, brief, punchy discussions with people who have experience and particularly through the lens of the people on the ground in higher ed. Higher Ground, presented by the law firm of Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP. Find all episodes at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. All right, so we're back from the break, and uh, we are with Beth Nierberg, a mom who made it through uh, freshman year of college for her oldest child. Um, and uh, so we want to start this out where it's like, what? I'm going to ask you a question, Beth. Yeah. When did you cry, and what, what made you cry? Um, <laughs> so I, I, re- I think there are only two times that I got, as they say in Yiddish, verklempt. The the first was driving away from dropping him off, just like I did when I dropped him off at kindergarten. And it was less about being heartbroken and more about being proud. Yeah. Okay. Like they were, they were definitely happy tears, but I was a bit of a mush pot. And then, (laughs) and then I think actually the second one, oddly, came when he took finance over the summer Uh um, and after having a pretty um, complicated academic year um, he did really well in finance over the summer and was really proud of himself and I could hear it in his voice and that got me good was there um, so you were talking about pride and making sure you feel prideful and that's what made you cry but were there some like other emotions that you had that, you know, and this is where you can talk about being frustrated. You could talk about wanting to flip a table. You could talk about oh. whatever. <laughs> um, what are some, give us an idea about your roller coaster and how did you, how did you survive your roller coaster ride? Um, 
Uh, so there were definitely those moments where I wanted to storm onto campus like a silverback gorilla, but of course I did not. I myself. <laughs> that visual um, is so amazing and perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you know, I think, I think that there were a few moments where I felt like administratively the place was bankrupt and I was furious. Um, <laughs> You know, when you you, you think about the amount of money that you're spending and you want your kid to have this experience and you feel like it's not all that and it comes with a astronomical price tag and you have no control, that's a, a recipe for some frustration. Mm -hmm. um, but I think because I, I dabble in the field because I see so many college students, I knew that some of that stuff would get worked out by itself and I needed to just sit on my hands and right. sitting on my hands is not my primary skill set. No, that is not um, in your wheelhouse. <laughs> no. It's not. So there was, there was some new skill development um, on my part of the hand sitting variety, um, which also makes it hard to make a mosaic. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Generalized not well into my life, but I felt like I held back enough to let him work some of that stuff out mm -hmm. on his own. And that's what needed to happen. So I knew if I could just hush for a minute, he would figure it out. And so the frustration, I needed to just hold it close and not let it propel me into a place where I was acting on it. And, and that was like, I think my primary frustration. And then there are the, the stupid little things like getting your kid to call a doctor when they don't feel well or yeah. go to CVS and get the, the Pepto-Bismol or the, the allergy medicine or, you know, any of those little things when your kid is away from home feels more complicated. Well, and that's, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where we talk about it even in the first episode of, you know, how do you, how do you position your kid for success? And, and these are those things that parents can be doing even before a kid goes off to school. So whether it be teaching them how to do their laundry and, and do their sheets um, or how to fill a prescription um, or how, what to do to go to the doctor, these are all things that from a, you would rather at a point um, that they're leaving for college to be able to say, all right, I know I'm not feeling well. I need to go to the doctor. I need to go get my prescription filled. I need to, I need to clean my sheets because I, I'm a festering pile of garbage. You know, I mean, like that is where, you know, students <laughs> needing to, the, the kids needing to know this. And, and we want to, as parents, take care of our kids. I mean, I sent my kid off to sleepaway camp for the first time this summer, and I've literally been a basket case every day since she left. And my husband is like, you need to stop checking the, the photographs coming back <laughs> from the camp and overanalyzing every picture that your kid is not having a good time or is she actually having fun or is she actually meeting people um, you know these are things that as we've as you go through time as a parent and realizing that you know there's there's time to let go and there's time to hang on um, right. in, in terms of the times to hang on you know what are the things you've hung on to and you're like yeah I, I, I know they need to learn how to get their prescription filled but what are the things you're like that, but this is the thing that me as a parent need to hang on to this a little longer oh that's a really good question, Laura. I don't, I don't, um, he's pretty independent in some ways and has grown some independence in others. I think for me, one of the things that I 
figured out before college only because of his birthday, mm-hmm. right? He turned 18 in high school. Yep. But once your child turns 18, no medical provider will talk to you for any reason, no matter how hysterical you are, because your child has rights. Yeah. And even if your child says, mommy, I don't understand what they're saying, you still don't have rights. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. have to sign papers to give you rights. Mm -hmm. And so that is actually a conversation that I think parents should understand before their kid goes. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to switch to um, your child and friendship circles. Okay. Yep. Um, I've been to your home. I am well aware that you're the kind of house that the kids in the neighborhood like to come to. Okay. Um, and your kids, all of them have very strong social circles. Okay. Um, and now you send your kid off to school and their social circle, there's a circle from home and there's a circle from school. Uh, How did you see in terms of navigation of that? How did your kid do with that? Um, were there some people from the home circle that kind of floated out on their own and, and your child struggled with that? Um, talk a little bit about that. Any stories around that? Yeah, so really interesting and not at all what I expected. So um, for full transparency, my son goes to school in the town that we live in. Mm -hmm. So we made a rule that when he made his choice to go to school there, he was not permitted to sleep at home until after Thanksgiving for any reason. Nice rule. That is a nice rule. Even if he was sick, it didn't matter. He was not sleeping at home because I knew that would be a disaster. Mm And so that kind of forced him to sit in the social complexities of university life. Um, I think the things that we figured out were he kept his old friends. He has some blended friend groups, people from home and people from school that he has managed to kind of mix together. Um, He found the complexities. My oldest child is out and gay, so I'm not saying anything he wouldn't say. It's very hard to be a gay kid on a college campus when all your friends are girls, because the young women have access to things they don't let boys into. Um, And so he would socialize with his girl posse, but then they would go to go to a party, like a fraternity party, and he couldn't get in. Mm -hmm. And so some of those things definitely had impact on who he chose to socialize with and when because of access issues. Mm. Um, That definitely had impact on his social life. Interesting. Mm. And I think the the last question I have for you is, you know, if you could have done it again in terms of your, in terms of your experience um, in your son's freshman year, uh, what would you have done differently besides the meal plan? Besides the meal plan, oh boy, um, huh? What would I do differently? I would have had his neuropsych testing done his senior year of high school. Yep. Um, so that it wasn't so chaotic, and he would have gotten his accommodation sooner mm-hmm. because I think his self-esteem as a student took a hit that it didn't need to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had known, if I had known then what I know now, I would have done that differently. Um, and then I really would have worked harder at the laundry thing. <laughs> I so would have worked harder at that because I think I blew it. Um, <laughs> there's always but tomorrow. That's a, yeah, exactly. but there's always, well, there's only two more kids, so th- I can get it right later. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And that may have been, I'm going to give you a pass on this, Beth, because um, that might have been more of a survival mode for you to make sure that you can make it through every damn day of your life with a a clean load of laundry and not have to fight about it. Because everybody, you know, everybody knows that there's certain battles we take up as parents and um, that may have not been worth it for you at the time. But now, you know, yep. 100%. And I can say that I successfully sent my youngest child off to a three-week dance program, and they did their own laundry spectacularly. There you go. So (laughs) I feel a little bit of a reprieve. Well, that's good. That's good. And and we want to thank you for being our first mom who made it um, (laughs) and uh, be part of the podcast, and uh, we appreciate it. So how do people get in touch with you, Beth, um, and uh, tell them more about that? Um, wow. How do people get in touch with me? So um, the best way to get in touch with me is B-E-T-H-N-I-E-R at me.com. Okay. Um, I am a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice in Brookline. Um, and Brookline, I have, Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah, Brookline, <laughs> Massachusetts. And I have started both a face-to-face and remote program for young rising college students to help them. And that's called Ready, Set, Go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to kind of help your kids do a little bit of boot camp prep to get them ready for their college experience. Um, and so that is the best way to reach me. Excellent. And in the interest of full disclosure, Beth is a supporter of the podcast so you will hear uh, her name come up again and again so thank you <laughs> thank you Dave Jesus. all right Jesus God all right well remember um, there are various ways to uh, engage with uh, the twin XL pod um, you can find us on all of the social medias uh, well are in most of the social medias we have uh, at twin XL pod on Twitter uh, find us on Facebook you can be part of our Facebook uh, page um, you can also support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash twin XL and that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash twin XL and you can give us a buck or two a month and uh I'd like to thank our wonderful producer, David Yaz. And this is a production of Pod 617. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe, share, rate us, and tell people how fabulous we are. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. That was so much fun.